Welcome back to the Faith Roots podcast. Uh, we had a bit of a break last week. Um, we were um, uh, away for half term, but we're back into 1 Chronicles. And uh, today we're looking at 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, so why not uh, take a moment to have a read through of that Bible passage? Uh, you might want to read through it in uh, more than one Bible uh, translation just to get a, a feel for the, the chapter and what is what is happening here. Uh, and remember that the, the context is that King David has uh, been crowned as the king. He's also uh, uh, taken up residence in Jerusalem. He's conquered the Jebusit uh, stronghold and made that his capital city. And then uh, at the start of 1 Chronicles 13, we find David realising that there is something missing in Jerusalem. He's in the capital city, uh, but there is something uh, that isn't. It's the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so what was the Ark of the Covenant and why was it so important for, for David? Uh, well, if you want to get a bit more background for that, you need to go back to Exodus chapter 25. Uh, this uh, uh, was uh, as the people of Israel were in the wilderness they had left Egypt God had brought them out rescued them from slavery he delivered them through the Red Sea onto the other side and at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 he'd given them uh, the Ten Commandments uh, laws to live by God's Torah God's uh, covenant with Moses uh, what would it mean for them to live as a holy people in God's presence in the land that they were going to go into uh, and then as part of the instructions that are given, God tells them to make this, this box, an ark, it's not a massive thing. A box would be used to house, to contain the, the stone tablets with the, the Ten Commandments on them. There were other things that would find their way into that box eventually. It would be decorated with, with gold and... Uh, on top there would be these, uh, not a, an image of God, but image of, of um, angelic beings, of um, cherubim, uh, big winged uh, creatures that would kind of overshadow it. It's described as the Ark of the Covenant or the, the box that represents God's agreement with his people. And, and I and other nations around would assume that uh, this was in some way representative of the Israelite God, that uh, perhaps that it contained the idols that they worshipped. Of course it didn't. It contained not uh, an image of the God, but a copy of the word from God. It's highly significant about our understanding of how we relate to God, not through idol worship, but through God's word to us it represented God's presence with his people God's commands to his people God speaking to his people God's love for his people and that's what covenant is all about uh, in fact in terms of that kind of image of of, of um, where um, pagans would have had their idols in their temples uh, the idea we're meant to get is that the Ark of the Covenant is, is not even so much a, a seat on which God sits as though 
God is small enough to fit into the temple, but rather it's, it's kind of his, his footstool that he rests his feet on. So the Ark of the Covenant is uh, going to be housed in uh, the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And when the people are on a journey, it goes up in front of them. So when they cross the Jordan, the priests take the Ark of the Covenant through first to show that they are following God, following God's word, that God has been there first. Like any kind of religious symbol, um, the Ark has become an object of superstition. Uh, so uh, right back in 1 Samuel 4-7, to we we find that the Israelites, when they were attacked by the Philistines, uh, they are in fear of being beaten, so they send for the Ark. It's at Shiloh with the priest Eli. It's brought up. The Philistines at first are afraid, but then they get the upper hand and they defeat the Israelites, and the Ark is captured. This shocking news, not just of the defeat of Israel, but the capture of this sacred object, uh, so shocks Eli the high priest that he collapses and dies. And so it spends not, not long, just a little while with the Philistines. They try to keep it in their temple, but the, the result is that plagues break out amongst them. And when they place it in front of their God, uh, their idol, uh, they come in the next day to, fi to find that their idol has, has been cut off and has fallen. It has bowed before the presence of Yahweh. And so they're afraid of it. And they send it back to Israel, where it eventually finds its home in uh, Kiriath-Jerim, where it is at the point when David is uh, contemplating these things. But it's not being brought back to the capital city. It's not being brought back to the, the tabernacle either. It, it is being kept in a, a different place, nothing further has happened with it. We're going to see that is a concern for David. Uh, now, Settleman in his Tyndale commentary says this, although the Ark probably perished in Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem, you can read about that in Jeremiah 3 verse 16, the chronicler gives greater emphasis to it than the compiler of 2 Samuel. Uh, that it becomes quite significant here in these chapters. This is presumably because he wanted his own generation to give priority to their own symbols of God's covenant and presence, especially to the temple. Uh, so remember that the Chronicle is not just recording history, he's preaching through history. There's a, a theological aim to whatever he tells us. Uh, so someone is saying we want to think about why he chooses to spend a bit of time talking about the Ark. And in fact, what happens to the Ark is, is really the subject of the next few chapters. We're going to read about it here. Uh, there's uh, some activity in between, and then we will return to the Ark later on. Uh, so it kind of brackets around a, a bit of narrative. And and the chronicler um, and and someone is saying that the chronicler wants to emphasise that the ark was important, uh, that this thing that God had commanded the people to do and to keep 
was important and so there were lessons for them about how they were to respond to the things that God asked of them in their day, including the keeping of symbols of the covenant to remind them of God's presence with them and what it and, and of God's word to them. Well, let's have a look at what happens in chapter 13. First of all, I want you to notice this phrase. It seemed good. David in verse 2 gets he gets together the officials, uh, the leaders, the commanders of the army. There's a bit of a military tone to this. And he gathers them and, and he consults them. Notice that David is being the kind of king that the book of Deuteronomy had talked about that the king should be at this stage, that he's not seeking to act with authoritarian control. He's not dictating to the people, but there is a, a consultation. He's relating to them. There's some good leadership principles uh, here as, as well, that David at this stage is not lording it over the people. He seeks advice. He consults the people make decisions together. It uh, doesn't mean to, that, that, that they, they, they don't have a leader. David clearly leads. Decision responsibility will lie with him, uh, but the people will be involved in that decision-making. Good, wise advice for church leaders there, that leaders shouldn't dictate and impose their will, uh, but there should be a sense in which the church together, the church body is involved in discerning God's will for the church. Uh, but David says to them, if you approve or if it seems good to you and to the Lord, if it's the will of the Lord our God, let's gather people, let's send messages out to the Israelites uh, and gather them and invite them to join us so that we can bring back the ark of God. So David is saying, first of all, I want to know your view on this. But more importantly, we want to know God's will on this. By the way, when you get to Acts, you see this particularly in Acts 15 verse 28, you get similar phraseology. Um, uh, does it seem good to us and is it from the Lord is, is, a, is a theme. It seemed good to us, seems good to us, the leaders of the church, the elders in Jerusalem in, in that case, and to the Holy Spirit. So there's an element of, of discernment there. Uh, discernment when we've not got explicit commands. Trying to discern God's will on a matter. And that's what David is asking them to do there. There isn't a... A specific command, a prophetic word from the Lord in that sense, but they're having to take time to discern. There isn't scripture on this. That decisions in church should have that feel to them. It seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit, good to us and the will of the Lord, to the best of our ability to discern those things as we've listened to wisdom, as we've had the insights of people through words of knowledge through dreams through visions through pictures through those kinds of things as we've 
have practical input. We get a, a sense of what God is asking us to do as a church in our situation. So David says, let's see what you think, but also, more importantly, let's see what the Lord says. And let's invite people. And we're going to, if this is the right thing to do, we'll bring the ark back. Why? Well, because it was neglected. Uh, when Saul was king, he says that Saul had not asked, not sought the Lord, not sought after the ark, not tried to get it back. Now, now there's a little bit of hyperbole there because Paul, uh, sorry, Saul uh, does actually at one point uh, go um, um, uh, in 1 Samuel 14 verse 18, he does ask for the ark to be brought seems to be one-off. He doesn't seem to be too interested in that. And the general theme, as we've seen before, is that, that Saul was not one that asked of God, inquired of God. Um, he relied on Samuel, wasn't too keen on what Samuel had to say. And then when Samuel dies, he goes to try and call up Samuel's ghost rather than going directly and asking of God. And there's some irony there because Saul's name in Hebrew sounds a bit like the word to ask and yet Saul the king that the people asked for is not the king that the people really need and fails to ask to inquire to seek God uh, Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount knock and the door will be open to you seek and you will find ask and it will be given to you that uh, you don't receive because you do not ask says James Saul is failing to seek and David says we need to correct that and the way we're going to do that is we're going to seek after God's presence with us through his word. We're going to seek God's voice in the matter and that is going to be symbolically represented by having the Ark of the Covenant with us. Ark of the Covenant with me. That reminder that he is the king who is subservient to the living speaking God to Yahweh. The whole assembly agreed to this verse 4, or it seemed good in the eyes of the people. A little bit of a question mark there because we're not told the answer to the second part of David's question. David says if it seems right good to you in your eyes and it's the will of God if it's right in God's eyes then we'll do it well we're told one half of it that the people think it's a good idea we're not actually told whether or not God is saying it's a good idea at this time probably don't want to make too much from the silence there but it does raise some questions doesn't it about whether David is getting everything right or not perhaps there's a little amber light a little warning signal of where problems might arise for David. Now have a look with me at verse 5 to 8, and here we see the people rejoicing, they're celebrating uh, as they seek to bring the ark back. The people are gathered from the farthest reaches, north and south. Um, some Bible translations refer to um, the Nile of Egypt or the Shehor of Egypt, the NLT called it the Shehor Brook of Egypt, uh, and this probably refers to not the main river Nile, but to uh, 
the easternmost um, uh, 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 tributary, not tributary, what's the, um, uh, the easternmost um, branch of the, the Nile Delta up in the Goshen, and that uh, reflects the border of Israel with, with Egypt at that time. So right from the south all the way up to the north, let's gather them to people, they gather the people together, they gather and they go to get the ark from where it has been. Uh, they uh, have a, a new um, cart made for it to, to travel on and they bring it from a Binadab's house and a couple of guys, Azar and Ahio, uh, are guiding the cart. Notice that they've actually copied what the first times did there. That's how the first times had transported the ark. But this isn't actually how God, back in Exodus, had told them that the ark was to be transported. Uh, what they were meant to do was to affix poles to the ark and the priests were meant to carry it. And it was meant to be treated with some reverence and respect, not bundled onto a, a cart, even if superstitious rituals around it as though it was just moving house and sticking stuff in the removal van there was some dignity to the, the carrying of the ark it meant that they were not meant to physically touch it and that's the problem isn't it they're celebrating with all their might they're singing songs they're playing instruments there's great joy uh, there's worship, uh, there's, there's a, a right sense in terms of this joyfulness as they seek to obey God. Mm, there's a right sense of praise. I think there's also a challenge here uh, that noisy praise and music, and, uh, even heartfelt emotions, are not necessarily an indication that we're doing things right in the will of God, that we may have all of the emotional experience of worship but we may be failing to honour him but because David is not acting in line with God's word he says I want to seek God I want to ask of God but he's not listening to the word that God has already given and there's a little bit of a challenge for us isn't there that we can be so keen on emphasising that we want to hear God we want to meet with God and yet we can ignore or be ignorant of what God has already very clearly said to us. The celebration and worship, but then things start to go wrong. Uh, there's a stumbling, verse 9 to 13. Uh, the, there's probably a good reason for not having the ark on the back of a cart towed by oxen, because the oxen stumble, verse 9, and other. Uh, the guy who's uh, on the front of the cart there with the care of the ark, he sticks out his hand to stop the ark from falling off. I think the sense here is that there's a, a bit of a light-heartedness, a carelessness to this, a bit of thoughtlessness, that there isn't reverence. Perhaps also that sense of, I'll take charge here, I will look after the box. Actually, the box doesn't need looking after. 
and God's people need God to look after them. And God treats this seriously. So verse 10, quite shocking for us as modern day people to read this. The Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him dead because he'd laid his hand on the ark. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. And this is a stark warning to the people. Uh, but the stumbling of the oxen and the stumbling of Uzzah leads to David and the people stumbling, stumbling because they're so afraid that the uh, the initiative to bring back the ark is halted. And instead of bringing it all the way back to Jerusalem, where David will be blessed as he seeks God and seeks to honour him, the mission is aborted because of fear. And blessing comes to someone else because the ark is left in the house of this person called Obed-Edom. Through the house of Obed-Edom of Gath, this suggests that he may even be a, a Philistine, doesn't it? And it remains there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. So someone else gets blessing instead. to make of this what is the message that the chronicler is trying to teach us we've already talked about how uh, this was a challenge to the people of israel what they do with the symbols of their day that they don't have the ark anymore but they have the priesthood they have the sacrifices that they're to offer and they have the temple that they've rebuilt. Will they treat them seriously? Respect and honour to God. I also want to push this further and suggest that we see that David seeks to honour God and to seek after him. But there are warning signs here because of his failure to fully grasp God's character, God's awesome holiness and God's greatness, and God's ability to speak. So we should be challenged by that. And also, we should be reminded that seeking God isn't about a mystical experience, but rather about paying proper attention to God's word and commands to listening to what God says to us. If God is present with us, he's present not primarily through symbols, but present as he speaks to us and present as he indwells us through the Holy Spirit. I'll give you some things to talk about with others from your church. Some discussion questions to think about. First of all, in what ways does David function as a failed saviour here? Remember that we apply Chronicles through Christ, and so we will want to compare and contrast David's actions here. Jesus is to us. Now, secondly, you might want to talk about church life and think about the New Covenant and the particular symbols of the New Covenant The obvious ones are baptism and communion. What does it mean to take them seriously, not to lose them from the life of the church? But also, 
to relate to those symbols, those symbolic acts, those pictures, a meal and a bath, the way that God's word tells us to. Now, those are some things for you to talk about and think about how you apply 1 Chronicles to your church context and to your life today. Thanks for listening in.